Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. All right, I'm sorry for making a stupidly obvious point, but get this, actors are not the people that play on screen. Like I said, it's a ridiculously obvious point, but in my defense, the whole job of an actor is to trick you into forgetting that. And today, we've got two actors who got famous showcasing like one particular side of hyper-masculinity, but have spent the back half complicating that legacy somewhat. In a bit, we'll hear Arnold Schwarzenegger talk about some of the big failures he's had in his life. But first, Henry Winkler, a.k.a. The Fonz, a.k.a. probably the reason why I have a black leather motorcycle jacket, even though I've never been on a motorcycle. He talked to NPR's Scott Detrow about his new memoir titled Being Henry and how he wouldn't have been able to do his role in Barry if it wasn't for some therapy. That's after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Get your quote at Progressive.com and see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. If you were born after, say, 1990, when you think of the actor Henry Winkler, you probably first think of Barry Zuckerkorn, the incompetent lawyer on Arrested Development. What are we doing here? What's the plan? The plan? You're our lawyer. To figure speech. Or maybe the acting teacher Gene Cousinow on the HBO dark comedy Barry. Now look, you're in a shell. You need to break out. And I've got the perfect antidote for you. You're going to play Blake. In Glengarry Glen Ross, the movie. Here's my only direction. Let the cat out. But for those of us born before 1990, he will always be Arthur Fonzarelli, a.k.a. The Fonz, on Happy Days. Because I'm the Fonz, huh? Hey! 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 What does that mean? The incredible story of how Winkler got that role is just one part of his new memoir, Being Henry. And before we started talking about his life and his career, I asked him to read from his book about the moment Winkler became the Fonz. I'm in Hollywood for one week, and I audition for a new series. So how was I going to accomplish this? I had no clue. Then I opened my mouth, and something very odd happened. What came out was a voice that was not mine. One I actually never heard before from me. Deeper, lower, in my chest than any other regular speaking voice. Assured, authoritative, rough around the edges. So I pointed to Pasquale. E, I said. That that scene, first of all, it's just amazing to to get a sense of going to be present at the creation for such a big pop culture moment. But it gets to so many themes of the book. You were so comfortable and self-assured in character, particularly this character. Why do you think that was so hard as you think back on it with all of that work that you've done? Because objectively, you were cool. You were the Fonz. But that was acting. I was just being who I wanted to be, not who I ever thought I was. Yeah. You know, people sometimes say there's no such thing as an overnight sensation, but you truly were. You went from couch surfing and awkwardly staying too long with friends in L.A. as you as you scrambled for auditions to suddenly being the center of a cultural phenomenon. That, that must have been so startling. 
I have to say it was startling. It was fun. And I made an appearance in Little Rock, Arkansas, after we filmed on Friday night. I flew there so I could sign autographs at the mall. And we landed like at 1130 at night. And when I got off the plane, I walked back on the plane because there was a big party going on. And I said to the flight attendant, I said, excuse me, but there are lots of people and I don't want to like disturb their party. Is there a way to walk around it? She said, that party is for you. (laughs) There were 3,000 people in in 50s clothing (laughs) waiting for me to get off that plane. Wow. You, you do Happy Days. It's a huge success. But then the second half of the 80s and basically all of the 90s, you're doing producing work, you're doing some directing work, but you were in a real funk as an actor because people didn't want to put the Fonz in their movie, in their show. That must have been hard. Absolutely. When I did Scream, they said, you know, all right, uh, the director asked you to be in it, but we're not putting your name on the movie or on the poster. It was really bad. That's why I became a producer and tried directing. I, I wasn't getting uh, work as an actor, which was the dream I've had since I was seven. And it was devastating. Self-consciousness and self-doubt were such a persistent problem for you. When did you realize that you needed to be a little more serious about your mental health? You needed to figure out why you had this self-doubt you needed to to talk to a therapist? About nine, ten years ago. I was still functioning as an actor, but my life was not fun. I could only relate to my puppies, my children. Stacy felt left out, my wife. And I found this incredible therapist And I have to say, I I say it in the book, if I were to give this doctor, this woman, a gift, it would have to be the size of a skyscraper. Because only by asking questions or saying, never answering the question, just saying, so, what do you think? What do you feel? What's the answer? Pushing me, pushing, prodding me. Yeah. That is the umbrella of the book, starting being who I thought I should be and not wavering from that very tight structure because of fear that what happens if I change a little bit? What happens, oh my God, if this part of me comes out to being a more authentic human being on the earth? I mean, I have to... Assume no question this helped you so much with your personal relationships and with your family, but how did it help you with your acting? Oh, my God. Listen, to know yourself is to know the universe. I love that. It had to help on screen too, though, right? I, I, I want to be the most talented actor. I want to be Anthony Hopkins, <laughs> but I could never have played Gene Cousineau without this latter part of my life journey. And that's not even hyperbole. I want to say definitively that is true. The last question I have for you is you have done a lot of self-reflection in the last decade or so, but now you've put it to paper. You've written this memoir. Is there anything 
you realized about yourself writing this book that hadn't fully clicked before? That is a good question because the the thought I had was my 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 youngest son Max was the one who pushed me for years and said you should write your stories you got a lot of stories you should tell these stories and I said I can't do it, it seems daunting to me it, I go back to it and it, it it reaffirms an old thought that I've learned so far in my life and that is you don't know what you can accomplish until you just try. I've tried to talk my way out of so many adventures that I would have given up if I didn't eventually say, Henry, shut up and just try. That was Henry Winkler. His new memoir is Being Henry, The Fonz and Beyond. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV isn't just good, it's brilliant. With exceptional television from around the world. Their romances are more charming, their mysteries cozier, their noirs more gripping, and their comedies cleverer. More clever? Oh, you get it. Acorn TV is brilliant stories told brilliantly. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. So, in a nutshell, Acorn TV. Brilliant. This message comes from NPR sponsor ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people across your business, providing intelligent tools to help remove frustration and supercharge productivity. And all of that is built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com slash AI for people. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Noom. Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, helps you build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. Check out The Noom Kitchen for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You know, coincidentally, just like the Fonz, Arnold Schwarzenegger has also worn an iconic black leather motorcycle jacket. Like I said before, it's a very narrow view of masculinity these guys were working with. In this interview with NPR's A. Martinez, Schwarzenegger talks about the men in his life who promoted a different kind of masculinity, one that was focused on acts of service. He's delivered some of the most quotable lines in movie history. I'll be back. Hasta la vista. Baby, it's not a tumor. That last one's kindergarten cop, in case you're wondering. Arnold Schwarzenegger went from champion bodybuilder to Hollywood action hero to governor of California. But before all that, he was just a working class kid in Austria, desperate to get out. He credits two men with showing him the way. First, his own father, then later his father-in-law, Sergeant Schreiber. Schwarzenegger's new book is Be Useful, Seven Tools for Life. And he told me that the idea of being useful came early to him. It became such a big part of my life that even when I sleep in past six o'clock in the morning, <laughs> uh, I feel guilty because I hear my father's voice saying, you know, Arnold, that's not how this country was built by sleeping in. Be useful. Do something. What are you doing now? But even at that young of an age, you understood what that meant? You understood the deeper meaning of what being useful meant? My father would make sure that I knew what it meant. <laughs> 
just to give you an example, I was started bodybuilding with the age of 15. And my father would say, why are you lifting those dumbbells and barbells? Don't you think it would be better to just go out and chop some wood and shuffle some cores for some poor people that don't have anyone? Therefore, you will get muscles. But at the same time, you're doing something useful. You're doing something for somebody rather than just for yourself and looking in the mirror at yourself and stuff like that. So he would make sure that you knew what being useful meant. How wide of a scope then does being useful need to be? Because I can imagine for you, Arnold, I, I think you'd probably have to be useful or feel useful to a lot of people than say I would. I mean, if I feel useful to my grandkids or to my wife, I feel pretty good about the day. It really depends on you. One thing we know for sure, that the majority of people really don't feel like they're useful enough or they are successful enough. And this is what this book is all about, to kind of like give people the tools How can they go and become more useful? How can they become more successful? How can they become happier with their lives and with their jobs? So what I want to do is just let people know, if you take some time and create a vision for yourself, create a goal for yourself, and then chase that goal, no matter how difficult it may be, life becomes kind of fun. Because to me, my life was always a lot of fun, even though I struggled a lot, then that was you know, losing a lot of the battles and then winning some. and But it was always kind of like spicy and exciting Wait. because I knew what I was chasing all the time. Arnold, you mentioned, okay, losing some battles. I Which battles did you lose? I, I think when people think of your life, they think that almost anything you've tried, you've been a success at. So which were the battles you lost? Well, I maybe was successful in the end. But I mean, to get there, one of the things that I talk about is, is not to be afraid of failure uh, because you're going to fail. When I was 19 years old. I was competing in the Mr. Universe contest and I lost. I had movies that went in the toilet. I have had uh, policy issues and uh, referendums that went in front of the people that I lost. And of course, in my personal life, you know, my marriage is a big loss. So there's a lot of losses and failures that I've had. And I think that it is important that we recognize that. But no matter what it is, I always had an exciting life and always chased something. And that made to me the whole thing worth it. I always felt I was enriched by the fact that I always knew where I was going. And then there were some things that were unexpected. Like running for governor was something that kind of unfolded only because there was a recall election. Yeah, you had the opportunity. All of a sudden I had this vision. I created this vision, me being governor. And so now I chase that vision. The last tool in your book is called Break Your Mirrors. What does that mean, break your mirrors? This is a saying that comes from my father-in-law. My father-in-law gave a speech at Yale University, a commencement speech. And there he said to the students, you know, break that mirror that makes you always look at yourself. And you will be able to look beyond that mirror and you will see the millions and millions of people that need your help. Now, my father-in-law is one, was one of my idols. And, you know, he's created the Job Corps, the Peace Corps, Legal Aid to the Poor, and all of those various different organizations. And he was always out there trying to find something to help the less fortunate. And he was also the chairman of the Special Olympics, and his wife created Eunice Kennedy Shriver created Special Olympics. So they always worked towards helping the people that needed help. 
And so to me, I thought that that saying said it all. Everyone has the ability to give back something. Arnold Schwarzenegger's new book is titled Be Useful, Seven Tools for Life. Arnold, thank you very much. Thank you. That's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. Let us know what you think. You can write to us at bookoftheday at npr.org. And just a reminder that you can sign up for Book of the Day Plus, which allows you to listen to Book of the Day without any sponsor breaks, and you'll be supporting our books coverage at NPR. You can find out more at plus.npr.org slash book of the day. And a big thank you to everyone who has already signed up. I'm Andrew Limbong. The podcast is produced by Isabella Gomez Sarmiento and Ashley Montgomery and edited by Megan Sullivan. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show elements for this week were produced and edited by Tinby Ermias, Lee McBain, Mallory Yu, Courtney Dorning, Kat Lonsdorf, Kira Wakim, Christopher Intagliata, Alejandra Marquez Hansa, Rose Friedman, Karen Zamora, Jason Fuller, Rena Advani, and Phil Harrell. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening. On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, We are also reliably informed that among your enthusiasms, in addition to macroeconomic policy, is mobile games. Uh, There is some truth in that. There is some truth in that. (laughs) Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Delta Airlines. When you think about it, half the trips the world takes are trips home. Home. What we all eventually long to get back to, no matter what took us away to begin with. Those at Delta know that, because all 100,000 of them are, above all, travelers just like you. It's why they try to make you feel at home long before you even get there. 